Yes, hello, folks. Welcome to the weekly Manchester United show. And beyond the pitch, I'm your host, as always, Phil Brown. Joining us now, now regular, fantastic co host, Bernard Callum McFadden. How you doing, mate? Doing really well, Phil. Um, looking forward to, to, to recording the show. A few back to back United wins, which brings a bit of positivity to us for once um, because it's been a tough. A tough time for the club, so delighted we've got a few wins to talk mm. about for, for what seems like a change. Yeah, I delighted we've got a few wins, and uh, I'm also encouraged by what I'm hearing from Ralph in press conferences when it comes to certain pointed issues we've had before. Um, I have to say, I, I, I do agree with the vast majority of what Ollie said. I know people listening to this will probably want me to tell their out. Um, but um, very encouraging sense. There was where there was things where really, we Solskjaer would say some of those things Ranić has already said, and I felt that United really as a football club have needed to stand up to Minariola for a long, long time. And it was interesting to come that Minariola posted basically a retraction of his comments about Holland on his Twitter. Um, I'm no doubt Borussia Dortmund have said something to him. Just think about what he said there for a second, right? So he said Holland will leave and go to Bayern, right? Now, that's Borussia Dortmund's biggest rivals. How disrespectful is that to Borussia Dortmund and their fans, right? And for Holland's relationship with Borussia Dortmund and their fans, right? Because it now puts Holland in a situation where he either comes out and has to rebuke his agent, right, which I'm sure he doesn't want to do, or risk having his relationship with Borussia Dortmund's fans fractured, right? So then he said City. Now, go back to whenever Paul Pogba was linked with Manchester City. Pep Guardiola absolutely eviscerated him, destroyed him. Right? So, uh, and they went back and forth, of course, because this goes back to the relationship with Ibrahimovic um, and with Guardiola's relationship with Ibrahimovic, which is poor. Uh, and then you talk to some of the other clubs, uh, Madrid um, and, and Barca. Uh, Barcelona's salary cap is at about 83 million, I think. Real Madrid's at 600. So I don't know where Barcelona are getting the money to sign Holland. And Real Madrid uh, are pretty skint too. They're getting Mbappé on a free. So none of the, other than City, none of those football clubs have money. This is why it makes no sense for him to ruin relationships with these big football clubs because the pool is diminishing as to who has money. And that's a big problem for your clients. So I'm glad to see Ranić turn around, not just send a message to Riola, sorry for this long um, <laughs> this monologue, but to also Paul Pogba and say exactly what every United fan has wanted this football club to say. If you don't like it, leave. Because, Callum, respect is earned, it's never given. And you never get respect being weak. You get respect holding the line and showing that you're not afraid to walk away. Right? Anyone, if you're in a relationship and you're begging someone to stay, there's an inequity in that relationship. And you will not get respect from the other person. Right? Um, it's very, very important that you demonstrate that you don't fear lo- losing that other individual. Because if they feel like they are complete control, this is what they will do. You get abused. Very important that United stood up and said, look, if you don't want to play here, leave, because there's lots of players that do. And quite frankly, Paul Pog was that match, isn't it? Because Mina Riola hasn't been able to find a buyer in four years. When Pogba was leaving Juventus, he didn't want to come back to United, but Barcelona Real Madrid didn't want to pay the money. Nobody's ever wanted to pay the money for Pogba. Not even in the last year of his contract, no one's wanted to pay the money for Pogba. Maybe Mina Riola should ask himself why. 
Why are we sitting here talking about the fact that one of the best footballers in the world, allegedly, who he was when he signed for United, we still don't even know his best position and the guy's coming 29 years of age. That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And just to add to that point you've made there, Phil, Kylian Mbappe's out of contract in the summer and pretty much everyone within football who has an understanding, the top journalists across Europe, believe he's going to Real Madrid, believe it's a done deal, it's a stick-on, and that's been heavily reported. Pog Pog was out of contract in the summer and nobody really knows where he where he will go. There isn't an obvious stick on and for me that says absolutely everything about um, him at Manchester United over the piece. If one of the best players in the world becomes available, you know for sure roughly where they're going to go. As you've seen with Mbappe, um, as you see with other players, I mean, David Alaba was another one. He was leaving Bayern. It was obvious he was going to go to Real Madrid. The deal was done. It was said for months and months and he goes there. Pogba doesn't even know where he's going to go. If you're one of these massive football clubs, yes, you're getting him on a free, but you're getting him on a free in name alone because Mino Raiola loves a big mm-hmm. commission and he, he's, he's right to be able to do that. At, judging by the rules, he can do that if he wants. And if clubs are going to pay him the money, then so be it. Pogba will then want a massive signing on fee because there's no transfer fee and there isn't an obvious obvious taking and I think that says everything about the situation that Mino Raiola has created. Paul Pogba has played very well for Manchester United in spells and I would argue the spells he's played well in are when a title is completely gone, eh, such as the Man City game under Jose Mourinho where there was the comeback to, to win 3-2, Chris Smallin I think scored that day as well. The start of the season, four assists to uh, in the first couple of games to really start the season on fire when Ollie initially got the job. He's performed very well for United, in my opinion, when the pressure hasn't been on, um, when when that has been a bit more relaxed because realistically you aren't going to win the Champions League, you aren't in the, in the real hunt for a, a Premier League title because as I say, when United beat City that day, they were only delaying the inevitable, so... I'm so glad that Ranjik and United have stood up to Raiola because he should not be allowed to to bully football clubs or try and bully them uh, with the tactics that he has. You made a comparison, uh, Phil, on Twitter this week to, to George Mendes, and I thought it was a very good comparison. George Mendes is another agent who is referred to by various outlets as being a, a super agent. But George Mendes doesn't just move his clients to one club. He's got clients at City, he's got clients at United, he's got clients mm-hmm. all over the place. Whereas Raiola, for me, wants to try and have his cake and eat it. And again, within the rules, he, he, he can do that. But United had to stand up to him. I'm glad they have. And crucially, um, I'm also glad that Ralph Ranić has come out very strongly against Anthony Martial. I don't have a problem with Anthony Martial leaving Manchester United. We've talked about him on this show numerous times. There's definitely a talented player in there. If he could play a more consistent level, he would not be leaving Manchester United. We've not seen that for a number of years. For his agent then to go to Sky Sports here in the UK and say he wants to leave, etc., etc., and then to come out today and say, he's spoken to, to me, the player hasn't spoken to me directly, and he won't be going anywhere until he comes and tells me he wants to leave, I thought was absolutely brilliant because nothing annoys fans more than players not caring about their football club or even about their own career. Anthony Martial is a talented player. His name is chanted from the terraces, 50 million down the drain, and Tony Marshall scores again. He is a player who the United fans have taken to. So if he wants to leave the club, be level with the manager, be level with the fans. Don't hide behind your agent because 
if you come out and say that you want to leave, I don't think I don't think a majority of Manchester United fans would begrudge him the chance to go and play regular first team football elsewhere because I don't think he's going to get at United as we've talked about. But the manner that it's been done in is very poor, and I'm glad we've got a head coach at the moment who's willing to come down very strongly, whether it's Mino Raiola or other agents as well, because that's what effective managers do. And I think that's something that I'm glad to see United have at the moment. Well, there's a couple of problems. Once you go public, Callum, you force United into doing something different. Now you force United into having a show of strength and saying we're not going to be bullied, which further complicates the issue, right? I I, I give you the Cristiano Ronaldo situation, right? Whenever that went public, what did that mean? It meant Ferguson had to have a show of strength. I wouldn't sell them a virus, right? And they're not getting them. And in fact, it was in the book, right? Ferguson's book about Ronaldo when he was talking about this. And he goes, you know, once they went public with that, Ramon Calderon, I said, it will be a serious sign of weakness if we succumb to that and let Ronaldo leave. So we need to not just show Real Madrid, other football clubs about Ronaldo. This is about the next player too. So now you further complicate the issue when if you just had it done it in private, they could both claim victory by selling them. But now you can't. And now you further complicate the issue. And like I said, with Holland, this also affects the relationship of the player and the fans. So this is what I don't understand about this strategy. Also, Anthony Martial's agent, you seriously talk to the media before you talk to Manchester United. That is so classless. So classless. And here's the thing about that, Cam. I find it interesting that within a week of Ralph Ranić being appointed, we've got Marshall and Pogba's agents coming out talking about wanting to leave. So they weren't willing to turn around and see how things were going to go on the run. They just decided right away, we aren't in for it. We aren't up for this. We want out. That's good. That's a healthy sign. I, again, I have no problems with players wanting to leave. That's entirely up to them. Perhaps it's their own ambition, whatever. It's okay. Right? To me, that inconsistency that they both personify is exactly what United need to get out of that football club. They're not alone. Right? Um, I, 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 you know, there's other players that need to go too, but I think for Martial, like you said, exceptional talent and probably needs a move to reinvigorate himself, to revitalize himself. And it would not surprise me to see Martial go somewhere else and be exceptional because I think when there's a motivated player inside of him, he has the ability to do whatever he wants. But the point is he hasn't been doing a finale for the last year and a half. That's too long, Callum. United need a striker anyway with Cavani, right, with Ronaldo. So in some sense, it strengthens their hand and saying, look, with Martial gone, it resists the temptation of giving Martial another year and trying to prove himself and see if there's still a striker in there. So I think it, this is it's really, really important that um, players and agents alike are shown there's a negative consequence for going public and the football club's going to defend its interests. And I think maybe if there's one criticism of Oli, um, I would have liked to have seen him bite back a little more because he tried to play nice guy. He tried to play straight bad and he got him nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. Repeatedly disrespected every international window. And a lot of times they do it at weird times. In September, a week after the window closed, Brio is coming out talking about leaving. Why? How disruptive is that? How disrespectful is that? Why can't you just shut your mouth? 
why can't you just turn around and say, if I've got an issue with my client, with his respective employer, one of whom compensated me enormous amounts of money, I'm going to have enough respect to communicate these issues in private. Because it's also about the next football club that goes to sign this player. Because if I'm a potential employer of one of these players, I say, Pogba, do I really want a Riola headache? And then there comes the next question. If you're a director of football or someone of that old, how can you turn around and scout Paul Pogba and say, that's the player we need, that's the answer to our problems? What has he done to show that he's going to be an asset in your football team? And Paul Pogba wants an enormous amount of money. Well, you need to get something for that money. What are you getting for that money? You're, you're, you're definitely not getting the return that you need from that level of output. And, and that's something that United have clearly seen at this moment in time. And it's something that will be interesting as, as time goes on. You think of Martial, you think of Pogba, and, and even Lingard, Phil, it's clear that those three players will look as if they're heading towards the exit door. And to be honest, I, I'm glad that these decisions hopefully can be made quickly because nothing is more frustrating for United as we've talked about in recent years where players maybe get another year, another six months to sort of see how they are. I think the best football clubs in the world can be very clinical. You think of Sir Alex at times, Yap Stam and others been examples where he could clinically make a decision for good or for bad and move on and United need to get back to that. Completely agree, um, and it's good to see the the club grow a span. Also, something that I felt that was interesting that Ranjik said um, was about Pogba's rehabilitation. Now, Pogba never does his rehabilitation in United. Right, he sometimes goes to Miami, um, other places. Right, and this is not a new thing. You know, Owen Hargreaves done this, Schweinsteiger done this. Right, um, you know, Owen Hargreaves was quite disparaging about United's medical team and his books, uh, what have you. So this is not a new thing. This has been done before. But I completely agree with Ranjik on this and saying, if you want to, uh, this is a, 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 an ethical question. If I want to see a, my own personal doctor, should I be allowed to? Should my employer dictate who? Yes and no. I think given they're a prof, professional athlete and your health and your conditioning is an enormous indicator as to your performance of what you're paid to do. I think the club have every right to also be included in that process. You can have your own doctor, but the club must also have someone present there, right? Because your health is part of their business. That's what a professional athlete is. So I think it is very important that United bring that back in-house and explain to Pogba, or any player for that matter, we are in control of a rehabilitation. Right, because Popov is a player that's been injured a lot. So I think United have every right to turn around and say, we also need to be involved in this process because whatever you're doing isn't producing the results. Because he's injured constantly, you know, every, every season. You know, you've got a significant period of injury with Popov. And go back to Mourinho, I can remember this. So I think United should take control of that process. Here's what's going to be the gut check, as I've said before, with United. Everything Ranjik's saying is right. But why does this culture exist at all? It exists because the people above Ranjik have allowed this problem to exist, this culture to exist. They're the ones that have allowed agents to get away with this. They're the ones that have 
created an expectation of players that no matter how badly you play, you'll still get contract renewals, no matter whether your manager wants to keep you or not, because your transfer value is worth more to us than the manager's opinion. Now United have to turn around and back Ranić's point 100% and say, well, there is no you know, soft parent to come to to escape discipline. Because if United don't hold that line, they undermine Ranić and they basically have fired him right away because if you don't control personnel, who comes in, who comes out, you're a coach and not a manager. So it's very, very important United back Ranić 100%, no matter if they're looking at a financial loss and take that financial loss, has they have to back him. They simply have to back him um, in this interim period, but crucially, it's a delicate situation because if he continues to do well, albeit they might want to bring another manager in for next season and, and hopefully Ranjik's involved in that process, but if he isn't and they're going to plan on using him on a consultancy basis, more at player recruitment rather than staff recruitment, then they have to keep him on side because... He's shown before, albeit at clubs much smaller than United, that he's willing to walk away if, if, if something is not uh, to his liking. He's, he's shown that at Schalke, where he had success. There was a, a, a real difference of opinion, and he was willing to say, I'm off, I'm not staying here, uh, big club or not. You're not matching what you said you would do, and I'm not going to stand for it. So it's very delicate for United. They've got... A guy in charge who has worked, again, albeit not at clubs the size of United, but he's built clubs and he's built departments um, up from being relatively um, inexperienced to being very, very good and, and arguably some of the best in class. You think he's worked with the Red Bull group, um, Salzburg and Leipzig, two clubs who recruited very well within European football. You think of the fact that even when he was at Schalke, um, his second spell also the Champions League semi-final that's been highlighted because, of course, it was against United. So, the club has to keep him on side, even if even if they are still sticking to the plan that there'll be a new permanent manager next season. Um, because if you've got a guy who has a track record that Ranić does in terms of recruitment, in terms of establishing a clear and pure football ideology that can survive even when he leaves a club, then you have to invest in him. You have to give him that time. The difference is it's not necessarily going to be his coach for two and a half seasons. It might only be for six months. But as I say, it's delicate and they have to make sure that they do the right thing by him and by the club. Because if there is a difference of opinion there between now and the end of the season, it could be very shaky going into the summer. And United need a clean transition. If they are sticking to a permanent manager who won't be Ralph Ranjik, they need a, a clean transition. Because the last thing United need, in my opinion, is to say... It's another complete transition period. I think the squad has enough quality in it that you can add in the summer to two or three areas and you can seriously challenge for some of the big trophies. Now, people might be listening to this and call me naive, um, but I genuinely don't think United are as far away from some of these clubs as people maybe think at this moment in time. I'm not saying that one player is going to fix the issue, but I think if Ranić is given the time in this six months to establish... Good coaching at Prowess. He's obviously brought in some of his own staff, which for me is a positive sign. Then come the summer, whether Ralph stays on for 12 months as coach or a new permanent manager comes in, it can't be back to another transition of give us three, four, five transfer windows. It needs to be, we need two or three quality additions and we can seriously go for the trophies that any Manchester United team should be expected to go for. So 
as I've said a few times already, it's a delicate situation. Um, so far, I've been very impressed with Ranjik and how he conducts himself. Um, obviously, I'm sure we'll get on to performances and, and, mm. and the, the way that genius in 90 minutes, someone's a fraud in 90 minutes, it always makes me laugh whether it's United or someone else. And, <laughs> and I think with this Christmas period, Phil, you, we, we've talked about this numerous times. Um, you don't get a lot of time in the training pitch when it comes to the, the festive period. The first 90 minutes, he's a genius. Look at them all pressing. Look at them doing this. Then the Norwich game at the weekend. Oh, they weren't doing this. They weren't doing that. They're not buying into it. You just, you just want to say to people, what happened to, to patience and a timescale? Things cannot change overnight. And if they did change overnight, then in some ways I'd actually be, be, be rather worried because you, you should not be able to turn form on and off like a tap. And it is going to be a process. I'm not saying it's going to be a five-year process, but the guy needs time to work with his players and that's something that he won't get in December. He might get a little bit more of in January, depending on how United on in the cup competitions. But give the guy time. He's, he's come in, he's made a positive impact, he speaks well and I think he is someone who will do a good job between now and the end of the season. Do I think he's going to win the Champions League and the FA Cup, etc.? I don't know. It's far too soon for me to say but I'm encouraged from what I've, I've heard from him so far and and, and, and in the first performance, I was encouraged. But to be fair, just to grind a result out away at Norwich, as poor as they've been this season, sometimes you just have to grind a, a, a game out. And that, for me, is another encouragement, especially with a clean sheet, albeit down to the hair's brilliance. So you're telling me Crystal Palace wasn't solely down to coaching after all then? Because uh would appear, what what was yesterday down to then? If, 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 the, if the performance against Palace was down to coaching, surely by that logic... Um, we would have had an amazing performance yesterday. It would have been done even more coaching on the Ranya, but somehow that didn't correlate, um, which, of course, illustrates the other stupidity, which, let's be honest, was meant more as an insult to Solskjaer than it was a compliment to Ranya. Um, well, let's be honest, Phil. I mean, first game, he's a genius. The Champions yeah. League draw, he's an average coach. At the weekend, he's a fraud. Some of these people just, I think they just wake up in the morning and think, right, what outlandish statement can I give today? And, and sometimes you question whether these people have watched football for a long period of time. And I don't mean to say that to sound elitist, but I just mean that from a point of view as a workplace. If, if you if you um, became a manager of a company tomorrow, Phil, things wouldn't change overnight. You might make a great impact in a week. People might say, he's done this, this and this, but it takes a, a, it takes a sustained period of time to see any lasting impact. So people just need to calm down as we've talked about with some of the United support online numerous times, even with Ollie. Mate, I'm going to tell you something, and I don't know if it's whether I'm getting old or what have you, um, I really despair about what I see on Twitter. Twitter and social media is just a mirror to human behaviour. And it doesn't matter what the issue is, whether it's Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer, it doesn't matter whether it's politics, everything is polemic. There is no middle ground anymore. And we are living in such a deeply divided society on everything. And everything is vituperative. Everything makes people angry. Everything results in one extreme or the other. And this constant division in society, which I think is being permeated by the media because media, the news now is entertainment to be reinforming the prejudice of whoever watches, whether it's the left or the right, whatever, in these echo chambers. Um, and and 
it's about not informing anymore and as a result we have people online and it doesn't matter what it is you say if you say if i say hello someone's gonna tweet guarantee fuck you you bastard hello yeah really who do you think you are holier than i creep and you just look at this and you know what is going on in our society that does this where a benign football opinion will trigger someone to the point that they, and I'm not just talking about, I'm talking in general, to reach for the most disgusting, heinous insult they can possibly find. Right? They will take the most uncharitable interpretation of your words and apply it to you. If you happen to criticize someone that's different than you, it couldn't possibly for any other reason than prejudice. This isn't seeing that we live in this world. It is so depressing. And every issue whether it's sport or social it's anger i constantly find myself with people that i love friends where we have different views on different issues where i'm constantly having to avoid so many different issues not list increases every day where this is a potential deal breaker for our friendship for example look at the issue with vaccines I've got friends who don't want to be vaccinated. I've got friends that are so certain they're right on stuff, but I've also got friends that are so certain they're right who think completely different. And now it's costing me friendships because they are so offended by the mitigation efforts that I take, and I vaccinate my children, that offends them. And because we now believe that everything exists in opposition to something else. My identity can, can exist in opposition to yours, therefore it's a zero-sum game, and my identity must prevail and yours must disappear. My views have to prevail over yours. You're a scumbag, you're a cunt if you believe something different than me. And this is what we are. This is what social media has done. And so conversation is impossible. Reasonable conversation is impossible. Social media is virtually unusable. Most of the time I tweet something, I put my phone down and mute the conversation because I just don't want to read the comments that come back. And every once in a while when I unmute it, I regret it. And it doesn't matter how benign the view is, you're going to get a pejorative opinion back that is disgraceful. And I, I, I really lament this. I think this is really tragic and I think it's going to get worse and worse and worse as we're more and more divided on social, political issues and everything else. I just, I see this divide in our society where everyone's pitted against each other. And I'm, I'm tired, mate. I'm fatigued with it all. I'm really tired of the constant arguing and fighting of where we can no longer look at someone else's opinion except that it's different than ours and go, oh, okay. You know, I don't know if you've seen the Ricky Gervais um, uh, guitar lesson tweet. Have you ever seen it? Um, I don't think so. So he talks about Twitter, and I'm going to probably give a really bad, uh, uh, I'm going to probably give you a really bad version of this, but you'll get the message. He's like, you know, I put a tweet out. I've got millions of followers. I don't know who's following me. And so... It's, it's not aimed at anyone in particular. And yet, people who it's not aimed at will directly take offense and scream at me. This is the equivalent of driving down the street, seeing an ad for guitar lessons and a phone number. 
ringing that phone number and saying, but I don't fucking want guitar lessons. Well, then it's not for you. Take that fucking down then. Oh, it's not aimed at you. Ignore it. Move on. But we don't do that anymore. I mean, I come across on social media opinions from people that I respect that I couldn't possibly disagree with more. But it doesn't provoke me to the level of abuse at them. And I just think this is so, so tragic that this is the world we live in. I mean, you take a look at United, you can't even give an opinion anymore without it resulting in you being called all sorts of the most disgraceful names. And it's just tiring. It's like, I don't know how much more I want to do this. This is not fun anymore. Like, this is just, why do I use this platform? Because most of the time I have to avoid what comes back at me. And there are some amazing people. But I just find it so sad that we can't discuss anything anymore without it provoking somebody to feel like they've been verbally assaulted. So we've lost, we've lost the ability to compromise, and I don't want to get involved in the, the minutia of, of Irish politics and history. But I, I, I watched a speech from Patrick Guilty this week, yeah, and he was talking about. There's also always a perception, whether it's in the political landscape, of you've got this opinion, I've got this opinion, I need to try and change your opinion, you need to try and change mine. Why can't we at times, as you've said there, Phil, accept you're always going to be on this side of the argument, I'm always going to be on this side of the argument, but let's work cooperatively together and let's just admit we've got probably more similarities than we do differences, Mm -hmm. and let's respect those differences. As you say, in the social media age, any slight difference is met with vitriolic abuse. It could be something, as you've said, as completely innocent as, I don't think that was a penalty. Shut up, that's a penalty. You I know. Think to yourself, what is, what is the point of this? Yeah. Surely this is as draining for you as it is for me. For instance, I used to love, and I still do if there's a contentious red card in a game, I don't like it when it's United because I'm emotionally invested in it, but I love it when you get maybe two pundits on match of the day or uh, NBC, whoever's got the coverage over in the States, and you've got one pundit who genuinely believes it's not a red card and outlines why, you've got the other who argues the opposite, and they genuinely can have that debate, and then the, the host or the viewers can make their mind up. I love when you get moments like that where you can see both sides of the argument, but you know which one you kind of side with. Now, if you were to compare that to Twitter, you just don't get that. You just get two people just shouting and bawling at each other, you're wrong, you're right, you're wrong. And you get nowhere, and as you mm-hmm. say, you're left with a headache. And and the worst thing is, you just think to yourself, "I wish I hadn't opened my mouth," which to me is very dangerous because it's important that people have got the courage to speak out on much more serious topics than than football, whether it's on social media or in a public place. And I don't like this this lack of ability or understanding of compromise because at the end of the day. Compromise is what makes the world go round in many senses. You cannot always get what you want, as the Rolling Stones famously sang. You just can't. Yeah, look, the the ability to compromise. See, part of the problem is people have watched... See, see, it used to be that people would have a view based on evidence. But now people have a view and seek out evidence to support that view. And the internet and certain aspects of media will legitimise anything. So these people are running around so certain that they're right, that they're so offended that anything that's contrary to their view must result in their 
contempt and anger. But they live in echo chambers. They never consume information outside of what they want to confirm. Right? They have confirmation bias. They look for information that confirms that, and they believe that that's true. Anything doesn't matter how, how reliable the source is, just as long as it confirms their worldview. So when the truth offends, any bullshit will do. Right? And this is what we live in. This is the world we live in. We live in a world of grown adults who lack the emotional maturity to accept truths that offend them. So they create anything, and the internet legitimizes these alternative bullshit views, right? Uh, even though they don't stand up to any type of rigor. And it genuinely amazes me that we live in a world where people would rather have be pacified by bullshit than accept the truth, even though it offends them. And so here we are. Um, this is where we live. This is the world we live in. <clears throat> and, uh, and there's going to be people offended just by listening to this. And that's okay. Because two things. One, offense does not mean that you're entitled to a different type of rhetoric. And sometimes it's okay with being disliked. There's nothing wrong with that. You shouldn't want to be liked by everybody. So, honestly, I lament this period that we live in. I don't, I'm sure I'm the same as so many other people where I've had a tweet, deleted it before I've sent it, seconds after I sent it, because you just can't be bothered with what you know is coming back. And it's like, you know, I'm just tired. I just want to switch it off. So, and, and it's affected how I cover United because I'm now having to consider things that I never in a million years would have considered, right? Before I criticize a player, I'm now considering, well, I don't want to be accused of prejudice. I don't want to be accused of this. I don't want to be accused of that. Which is making me have qualifiers, which is just absurd. I, and I, I just, I'm tired. I don't, I, I no longer can find a space I'm comfortable in that doesn't result in this nonsense, this mudslinging, this constant mudslinging. And I, I just, I, 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 I don't know, mate. Sometimes I get tired where I get, do I really want to keep doing this? You know, I love recording, I love doing this. The vast majority of people are amazing. But I have to say, I'm just burnt out a bit with the constant negativity. And I'm not talking about abuse here. I'm talking about um, the, 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 the constant uh, polemic argument. You know, I, I, I'm talking about David De Gea. And I thought very hard about how I chose my words. Because I, I knew what was going to happen. So I said, David De Gea is back being one of the best goalkeepers in the world. I didn't say the best goalkeeper in the world. I said one of the best goalkeepers in the world. I thought I was on safe ground there. Apparently not. Someone let me know he wasn't even a top 20, along with a few other insults. And I thought to myself, who would be triggered by that? Happy people don't do this. Right? But it was apparently triggered enough for someone to point that out. And for them to make an absurd assertion that he's not in the top 20, which is absolute nonsense, right? And see, it's that polemic nonsense that I can't even reconcile with because it's totally unnecessary. And uh, anyway, we shall see what happens, mate, going forward. Sometimes I just get fed up with it because I just it makes conversation impossible and I feel rude not getting back to people. But unfortunately... Um, I can't, I, I can't deal with it. And, uh, you know, people have their particular views, that's up to them. But um, 
honestly, mate, the 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 barrage of of stuff is so negative. I just it, it just overwhelms me sometimes. Uh, but I'm talk about Norwich because um, important win, an absolutely dire performance. Right, let's be honest about it. Um, you know, didn't really deserve to win the game. They won it one 0 penalty. Positives are clean sheet. Oh, that they're away from home in a game that United notoriously find difficult. They always find difficult. We saw it last season beat Man City, then lose at home to Sheffield United. So in some sense, important three points. An important three points, clean sheet, the big bonus. Um, but as you say, it was, it was dreadful um, to, to watch. I found it to be a game that that, that was really scruffy. It's probably the, the nicest way I can put it. There wasn't a lot of outstanding quality in the game, in my opinion. Um, De Gea, I thought, was very good when he was called upon. He was called upon, I think, more than he should have been, um, given the, the comparative team that United are able to, f- to feel compared to Norwich. Um, however, I think, as I say, the, the main positive is it's a clean sheet. It's a, it's a game away from home. You've, you're playing against a team that's scrapping for their lives, albeit, as I've just said, we, we should have a lot more quality than Norwich to be able to make the game maybe a more comfortable watch. But it's, it's one of those games, I think, if you're the manager, you say, take the three points and move on. Um, the, the one player I want to mention, and, and I don't want to be uh, too critical, but I'm really concerned about the former Marcus Rashford. Um, I mm. know um, when, he, when he got his surgery and, and, and came back, it was always going to maybe take him time to get up to speed. But I, I thought he would have been up to speed and be performing at a more consistent level than he has been doing. I still think he is a quality footballer and football's a confidence game at times. Maybe he just needs to score a really important goal and he'll be able to take things on from there. But at the moment, he just looks as if he's playing. He just he just looks he just looks lacklustre. Is the probably the best way I, I can put it? He's making poor decisions. Um, he's been criticised for not being the most clinical forward-thinking player in the past and I think that's something that's, that is fair. I think Mason Greenwood is a far more clinical player than Marcus Rashford, albeit I think Rashford does have some slightly different qualities to his game. But as I say at the moment, I'm concerned about his form. I thought he was lucky, if I'm honest, Phil, to stay on the park when you consider Sancho come off in 67. Uh, I'm not saying Sancho was was a world beater by any means on the day, but, mm. but I thought Rashford was was lucky to stay on ahead of Sancho because I think Sancho was offering slightly more on the day than, than Marcus Rashford was. People might disagree. That's just my opinion. Was it me or did Jaden Sancho look extremely upset or irritated that he was being brought off? I, I, I don't think it's just you. That's what I'm hinting at in my answer there, I think. As I say, I think he merited staying on the pitch ahead of Marcus mm-hmm. Rashford, in my opinion. I'm not saying that to, to be controversial. I just do. I think 67 minutes, I, I, would, I wouldn't I would have been adverse to seeing Rashford um, c- come off at that point and, and Sancho um, staying on. Because I think if you put Mason Greenwood on, who obviously comes on for Sancho, Greenwood is a, is a, is a forward. So um, sticking with the system that Ralph Randick plays, then for me, Greenwood would easily, easily have slotted in alongside Ronaldo. And I actually think uh, I know United's next game against Brentford, there's talk whether it'll go ahead, whether it won't. I think whenever United play their next game, I wouldn't be shocked to see Greenwood start alongside Ronaldo. I certainly don't think Rashford will start in that, um, in that uh, second striker role. But yeah, I think he did look upset. And to be honest with you, I do sympathise with him because mm-hmm. I think on the day he was better than Rashford. And for me, 
he's a player who <laughs> it's not rocket science you could say since he's been playing in his more natural position for me he's putting in better performances maybe not the standard that that he was at Dortmund but that's going to be a big ask and and, and as a settled in processes we've talked about for someone that had never played in senior English football uh, before this summer yeah, I agree. I think he deserves to stay on the pitch. Um, and certainly Rashford's form is a bit of a concern, there's no doubt. Um, uh, I did feel a bit sorry for him being brought off. Um, but I think, um, you know, I'm expecting that Bobbin will not play against Brentford tomorrow. Um, when this podcast goes out, you might hear it be the same day, but um, I expect they won't. Um, so, uh, and this really raises a bigger issue and a concern for the, the future Callum because with Omicron spreading like it is uh, and showing <clears throat> some uh, immuno escape ability um, and showing some vaccine escape ability, antibody escape ability, this is a, a, I, can, I can see them going back to limiting crowds. I vaccinated or not, uh, I think uh, I'm concerned about what's going to be up and coming in January and what that's going to mean. You already see in Europe, Germany, what have you, going back to limited attendances. And I have a serious concern that's on the horizon. Um, I think uh, you could even see football getting suspended again with the World Cup. Not that far away. It's going to be really, really interesting to see what happens here, Callum, because um, the infection rate's terrible. And um, we're not going to do the whole, um, I'm going to have the whole vaccine conversation on here, right? And we're all sat on a world fatigued with that, right? But to deal with the facts, right? Infection rate is going through the roof. And um, I have a strong suspicion that what we're going to see in the beginning of January will be a lot stricter restrictions that wouldn't surprise me. No one wants to go back to this. I'm supposed to go over there on Friday. And to be honest, I'm not comfortable. Um, but uh, we'll see what happens. Um, be interested to see what happens in January, uh, and um, what what because I'm pretty confident they're going to bring in new restrictions. Unfortunately, uh, I really hope that doesn't happen. But uh, want to also point out, of course, young Charlie Savage. A uh, number of players played. Uh, in the United game against young boys. Of course, Charlie comes from a long lineage of United. He had a family, um, and uh, I was talking to one of his family members who actually listens to this podcast, uh, John, uh, the other day. So I want to say, first of all, congratulations to all of you and your family. Must be an unbelievable moment for young Charlie to be playing for United, uh, for Robbie, for the whole Savage family. And, uh, what a moment for all of those young kids. And uh, from behalf of myself, and I'm sure everyone else that listens to this, Wish Charlie all the very best. Wish him nothing but the best for his nearly career. And just a magnificent dream come true. Cameras, billions of kids all over the world played football. Dream of playing for Manchester United. Less than 0.1% make it. Um, what a moment for young Charlie Savage and the rest of those kids. It was incredible, Phil. And Robbie Savage is someone here in the UK that divides opinion. He was a tenacious footballer. Uh, it's probably the kindest way I can put it. Um, but I have to say, you would have to have a heart of stone not to to feel slightly emotional when, when Robbie over here on BT Sport was commentating and commentated the moment that his son made his Manchester United debut. Robbie, of course, was, was in the youth setup at United alongside the class of 92. And Robbie, as he said at pitch side before the game, he got quite emotional and he said, look, 
it was always my dream to pull on the red of Manchester United in a competitive match at this ground. I just hope my son can do it tonight. And he did it. Um, and I thought it was an incredible moment. I thought it was handled well on the television. Obviously, from those in the ground, it was an emotional moment. Everyone got involved and, and gave gave him a really great reception. Coming on for a World Cup winner is, is no bad way to make your debut. But we also have to mention young Zidane Iqbal, who yes, you, you highlighted on, on, on Twitter, Phil, so did others, that, that he um, really will inspire so many kids who have um, backgrounds uh, with multinational backgrounds. You know, I think it's important that kids like him can be given that representation from a club like Manchester United. If, you, of course, have to be good enough to earn that opportunity, which he clearly is, hence why he's been given it. And for me, that was another inspiring moment. One of the points I made on the night um, when, when they came onto the park was... I think it's important that some of the, the guys who work at the academy can be unsung heroes. I've spoken to Neil Ryan, I've spoken to Neil Wood and, and a few others behind the scenes at the academy. And one thing is clear, um, United as a club have always been very proud of their youth system. They have had an academy player playing in every single football match for well over um, six or seven decades. And for me, um, everyone behind the scenes works incredibly hard. And the one thing that you always hear when you speak to any of these people is that when Ollie was manager, he took a, a keen interest in the in the Manchester United uh, Academy. He gave 16 debuts to youth players, which was great. And then now you've got a manager, uh, interim manager, albeit in Ralph Ranić, who's continuing that on. And for me, that's a massive positive because not only um, do young homegrown players want to play for the jersey, for the love of the jersey, which fans buy into, but as we've seen with Mason Greenwood and, and Liverpool, maybe I've seen with guys like Trent Alexander-Arnold, City with Foden, etc., etc., is when you produce one of your own, not only are you putting someone in who cares about the jersey in the club, you can also save yourself an awful lot of money by developing someone to, uh, into being a top-class player. Of course, they have to have the talent, they have to have the desire, they have to have the attitude, but if you can give kids an opportunity, it's incredible how they can pay you back. I mentioned Marcus Rashford, Phil. Sorry for the long answer. Um, and the fact he's going through a sticky patch at the moment. But one thing you have to say, when you rewind back to the opportunity he got, it was last minute, there was a call-off. Will you ever get that chance again? He comes in and he takes it. And for me, that's what football's all about. I was bursting with pride to see both those young lads come on. As I say with Charlie Savage, no bad way to make your debut coming on for a World Cup winner, something that he'll certainly uh, remember for the rest of his life. And good luck to both of them. And good luck to all the kids in, in the United Academy, because as I say, there's a proud history of developing high-quality young talent at this football club. And regardless of who's head coach or manager, whatever title we're giving them, that's something that should always be protected. Of course, they have to be good enough to merit those chances, but with the work behind the scenes and the restructure that's taken place over the last five or six years, I think United are on the right track to ensure that that academy keeps churning out high-quality young players who can succeed at United, or as Sir Alex said, go on and have really strong careers in the football league or elsewhere. No, especially when you've got other Premier League managers complaining about their fixture pile-up and the, you know, the, 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 the workload on their squad and how difficult it is and then going and picking exactly the same squad in a meaningless game. <laughs> I think it's good to see Ranya giving young kids a chance. It's important for kids in the academy to see a route into the first team. 
that this is consistent with what United's identity is. It's very important. Um, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for taking the risk. It would have been easy for Ranić to turn around and say, you know what, let's get a good win here against young boys. Keep all the positive press, all the pats in the back, everything else. He knew by picking that squad it was a risk of losing the game and what was going to happen. The criticism would come with it. But, and as you quite rightly say, it's very important for people with a shared identity who have shared the identity of Zidane Iqbal, whether you're from Iraq, Pakistan, or whatever your identity is, it's, um, that you have people that look like you, that personify your values and everything else in positions of influence at top levels of sport. That's so, so important for kids from those particular communities to have role models just like them and to believe that it's possible. I knew when I was a kid growing up in Belfast, you know, we were looking for icons from our city that gave us something other than darkness. It gave us hope. It gave us, you know what, we can be on a world stage and be respected. We We matter. That, that's really, really important for these kids and uh, very important. And what an amazing, amazing moment for young Zidane Iqbal. Um, before we go, Calum, United, of course, um, as we said, probably will not play against Brantford this, uh, today. But the uh, next run of fixtures, kind of a, of, a, of a run of fixtures where we really should feel confident they're going to get results and get momentum. We do, and I think it's important um, to pick up wins any time of the season, of course, but particularly at this Christmas period because it's the sort of time of the season where if you can get through this, you feel that you can get through anything. Brighton have had their ups and downs this season. At home, you should be back in United. Newcastle, we've just seen the issues they've got defensively um, against Leicester. They won't be able to bring oh, anyone in. because. Because the game, the game, of course, is before January, so mm-hmm. that's the sort of team you want to play now. Now, I, I, I'm not saying Newcastle are going to a football manager and bring in 180 whatever million pound worth of players, but they should be stronger at the end of January than they will be now. So I think that's a good game. Burnley don't score a lot of goals, so if you score early in that game, I, I think you should be the favourite to win. Wolves tricky, but again at home, and I think when you look at that run of fixtures and. Obviously, Brentford aside, that game we think is going to be off. When you when you look at Brighton, Newcastle, Burnley, and Wolves, no disrespect to these teams, but I think if you'd offered any coach in charge of United the chance to play those four teams or four teams around the table where they are at this stage of the season in that hectic Christmas period where it's game after game after game, then I think that's what they would take. Um, so. I think United have to be backing themselves to get at least 10 points from those four games. Um, obviously, you want four wins, but you just never know. There could be a result or a draw here or there. Um, but for me, it's, it's a run of fixtures that are absolutely uh, fundamental to United going into the new year with real positive momentum. They'll have a week between that Wolves game and the FA Cup game against Villa, provided Brentford doesn't be scheduled for maybe the midweek between that. But for me, win those games, go into the new year feeling really positive. Um, I know Ralph Ranić talked about January. You obviously have more information than I do, Phil, but I don't see United being busy in January. I really don't. But again, that's just my hunch, and, and yours, of course, is more informed than mine. Well, I don't know for sure, but I would imagine uh, if players leave, then I think, uh, which is very possible, United would do something. But I think United are at a position now where they're less reactionary, where um, if they want a player and they're not available in January, they're not just going to send anybody, they'll wait. Um, you know, if Martial was to leave, is he that much of a loss right now? He's barely playing. You know, could the squad absorb that for another six months? Yes, right? Um, you could even say the same with Pogba. I also thought Ralph Ranić said something about Pogba that I overlooked, was that he's not a winger, right? 
and he needs to be playing in midfield, which I completely agree. Again, we're sitting here arguing what is his best position. We don't even know. Um, but um, I think uh, it would be best if you know it's long-term replacements weren't available this summer to wait. Um, but uh, you know we we will see what happens, mate. And then of course a quick comment on Atletico Madrid drawn in the Champions League uh, debacle, of course that draw. Atletico Madrid lost at the weekend against Real Madrid. The team that of course won La Liga last season. Simeone's thinking about criticism because he's trying to make Atletico more attractive, more creative. It's not quite working. It's not the Atletico we saw last season. Um, and uh, you know I think they're that that's a winnable fixture if you need it, but easily a very losable fixture too. Absolutely. Um, it's definitely going to be a fixture that, that could swing either way. I'm glad the first leg is away from home because I think that's the sort of game where if you can win that narrowly, I know away goals don't exist anymore, but if you can win that narrowly or get out of there um, with a draw, you would absolutely take it and back yourself Old Trafford to be able to break them down. So I'm glad United are away from home in the first leg because I always like to to, to be playing at home in the second leg. Again, does it make a massive difference at the at the highest level, people might argue not, but I, I think it, I still think it does, and I think it is a winnable game. Um, Atletico, as you've said, we, we saw Liverpool beating them pretty comprehensively um, this season already, so they are a team who who definitely can be beaten. United, I think, will be glad to get that draw ahead of Paris Saint-Germain. Um, I was worried they were going to maybe put one of the balls in the microwave and, and try and make that happen again. But uh, joking aside, I think it's, it's definitely a winnable tie and one that, that I'm looking forward to because I want to see United go far in the Champions League. I want to see United get to a quarter final and maybe dare to dream. I'm not saying they're going to win the Champions League, but stranger things have happened and why not dream? Because at the end of the day, hope is what keeps us going. Absolutely, it is what keeps us going and everything. Mate, we'll leave it there. Thank you to each and every one of you for downloading and listening to this podcast. I hope you're all doing well. I hope your mental health is good. I hope your physical health is good. Uh, Callum, uh, I don't know whether I'll be back next week or not, mate, because I'm not sure whether I'm actually going to travel or not. We'll see. Uh, possibly be back next week. Um, we, we will keep you informed. But anyway, thanks to all of you for all your downloads, likes, retweets, follows, everything. Much appreciated. And, uh, we will be back hopefully next week. Calm, all the best, mate. All the best, stay safe, everyone. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Bye.